Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, my name is Pete McCall, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the All About Fitness Podcast. This episode is going to be a continuation of my book, Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple. Last time we left off, we were finishing Chapter 3, Mobility. Now, we didn't quite finish Chapter 3 because in reality, there are seven different workouts in the mobility chapter. Well, I I could describe the workouts to you, but frankly, that's not good podcasting. If you want to see those workouts, if you want the benefits of mobility workouts, if you want to understand how to design mobility exercises or mobility workouts that deliver results, pick up a copy of Smarter Workouts. You'll see the pictures, you'll read the science, and the most important thing is you'll learn how to apply it. I mean, that's why I write the book. Now, one thing on that note, it's, it's early, relatively early January 2023, and I'm going to share with you some of my personal goals or my intentions about fitness for the year. I really try to stay away from the idea of resolution. To me, resolution means I must do this or else it's a failure. I resolve. I must. Fitness, we really don't need resolutions, right? Because if we, if we make it an all or nothing, if we make it we have to use this or that, then if we make it all or nothing, if we make it, we have to use this or that, then the reality is we, we don't accomplish anything at all because we're not going to do what we should do. I look at, at fitness as kind of like an ongoing, just kind of a movement thing. You can work towards goals, but I really, I'm not, my goal, personally, my goal is for the long run, for the long term. My goal is to use exercise and fitness personally to manage my quality of life. Would I like to have a six-pack abs? I guess. I don't know how that would make my life different. I really don't. Can I monetize them? Can I earn a revenue off them? Can I can I generate an income off the six-pack abs at the age of 50? Uh, maybe, maybe I should change gears and try to be a male model at the age of... Never mind. I'm not going to do that to you. <laughs> no, the reality is we have to understand... We really need to understand and take ownership of the concept that exercise is about managing and about optimizing what the human body can do. 
it's funny. I've kind of come to this belief over the last couple of years. This might be a little out there. It might be a little woo-woo. But I've come to the belief the last couple of years that we are energetic beings. We are Our souls are based on energy. When we pass, when I leave, when my soul leaves this being, this physical being, it is going to go on into another, into something else. I'm not sure what. And that's a whole different podcast. I don't try to spend a lot of energy on that. But what I acknowledge and what I accept is the fact that my body, my physical body, this physical being has to support my energetic being for a long period of time. Now, I can take my body and I can treat it like garbage and not do much with it. And guess what? Over time, it's going to fall apart. It's not going to last me that long. Depending on the diet I eat, depending on my lifestyle habits, if I don't treat my body well, it's not going to last that long. Conversely, if my body's a physical being, a physical structure, if I take care of it, if I maintain it, if I fix it when it's broken, this structure, this being will last me a long time. The content I put out there is I'm, I'm trying to help you understand how to manage your body through exercise. I'm not going to tell you how to become healthier because frankly, that's outside of my scope of practice. I'm a personal trainer. I have a master's degree in exercise science. I've been educating other personal trainers for about 20 years. That's about the scope of practice. I can't give you medical advice. I don't give nutrition advice. But in my career, developing and, and writing curricula and programs, I've, I've put together the pieces that, hey, exercise promotes longevity. My goals for 2023, my fitness goals 2023, the same as the last couple of years, number one, number one goal is to try to be active every day. My goal is to try to be active every day. And what I mean by that is at least go for a mile walk. Bare line, baseline, minimal activity. 20, 25 minute walk, walk for a mile, 20 minutes is you know, three miles an hour. So yeah, I should be able to do about, uh, about a mile and a quarter in about 20, 25 minutes. And that's a little loop around my neighborhood. That's my bare minimum. But one goal is be active every day. Another goal is I've dropped my weight down. I'm now at 190 pounds. At my heaviest, I was 220. I'm now, and my goal is to try to maintain between 190 and 195. Now that I'm 50, I'm trying to maintain my body weight of what it was when I was 25, which is about 190 to 195 pounds when I was playing very competitive rugby. So that's been another goal for the year is can I maintain 195 pounds or below throughout the whole year? And finally, the third goal of my workout and fitness program is I want to be able to keep up with my daughters. You've heard me, if you listen to All About Fitness podcast. That is always, I talk about my daughters, they're getting a little bit older, they're getting more active, they're getting more structured activities. And my goal is to be able to keep up with them. So those are my goals. Those are my fitness goals for 2023. Number one, be active every day. Number two, I do have a metric, try to maintain 195 pounds or below. Number three is try to keep up with my daughters. Now, reason why I share that with you is I'm not going to try to drive myself crazy trying to obtain some type of media-driven image. I'm not going to drive myself crazy trying to keep my weight down below 195. That's a target. And what I'm using that for is if I move away from my nutrition and I start eating more calories or, or lower quality than I should, then my weight's going to drift up. And if my weight drifts up, my machine is not going to work the way it's designed to. And that's the whole goal. So those are my goals. Now, in the book right now with Smarter Workouts, I'm transitioning to chapter four, core strength training. Now keep in mind when I wrote Smarter Workouts, I've been educating personal trainers for a long time. 
when I wrote Smarter Workouts, the goal was to try to teach you, the reader, well, in this case, the listener, but the goal is to try to teach you, the, the, the consumer, the information, the same information that I teach to personal trainers. Because, hey, if I can teach a personal trainer how to design an exercise program for a client, in theory, I should be able to teach, teach you how to design an exercise program for your needs. So, so far in the book, we went through a little bit of background about movement, about muscles, about how our body adapts. The previous chapter was about mobility. And with this chapter, we're getting into the strength training, specifically for core muscles. From video-based workouts to infomercials to group fitness classes at the local gym, it seems as if you can't hear any fitness instructor teach an exercise without using the words contract, squeeze, or engage in reference to your core. The rectus abdominis muscle provides the shape of the proverbial six-pack on the front of the abdomen. That's not the only muscle that's important, though. The area comprised of your upper legs, spine, and chest, often referred to as the body's core, is made up of a number of muscles that work together to create the necessary stability and mobility for efficient movement. Effective exercise strategies for the muscles often referred to as the core require more than merely squeezing or contracting. This chapter will provide effective strategies along with a number of fun and challenging workouts to help you develop true core strength. And that's what this chapter does. This chapter reviews the science of what we understand about how these muscles that control our spine, our pelvis, and our hips. This chapter reviews the science of of the latest research, but then it also provides workouts that work. And again, at the end of a chapter, there are seven different workouts, each using one piece of equipment that can help you develop effective core strength. That's why you need to pick up a copy of the book. Hint, hint. So let's get into it. Because they often require you to lie down on the floor, many traditional core exercises do not harness the inherent mechanical energy created when the body is in a vertical upright position. Momentum occurs as the result of a mass moving at any rate of speed. The greater the mass or the faster the speed, the higher the momentum. The muscles that attach your shoulders and pelvis to the spine can harness momentum created by the competing forces of gravity and ground reaction to generate the mechanical energy for many of the movements you perform on a regular basis. When any part of your body starts moving, it generates momentum. And one of the primary functions of muscle, fascia, and elastic connective tissue is to control this momentum. When it comes to core training, the abdominals can be controlled by the brain to flex the spine when you're lying on the ground. But this is not how they actually work during upright movement. During the gait cycle, which is the default pattern of human movement, the multiple layers of the abdominals are lengthened in all three planes as the ribcage and pelvis rotate opposite one another. These lengthening motions engage the muscles in their natural way of functioning. Therefore, it's easy to see how the crunch is really not the most effective exercise for strengthening core muscles. Now, before I go any further, what I'm going to do is I'm going to link down below in the show notes to an interview I did two years ago with an author who is uh, who wrote the book um, Burn about how our body works. And I'm totally blanking on his name, but this author lived with the Hadza tribe in North Tanzania in Africa. And what he did was he, uh, Ponser, Dr. Ponser, Herman Ponser, Dr. Ponser lived with the, with the Hadza tribe for for a while and he studied their metabolic physiology. What he was doing was trying to study how tribes people who still live in indigenous culture, these are people, these are hunter-gatherers that live off the land in Africa, 
what, what this team of scientists did was they studied them for a period of time to see how their bodies function. And one of the things they observed about the Hadza, and this is true about the human body, is throughout the day, they're always moving. They're on their feet. They're walking. The men are looking or hunting. The women are digging, looking for berries. And I'm not being misogynistic. That's what they write about in the book. The body is made to move. The body is made to move on our feet. What they did with the Hadza, if you listen to the interview, they studied the Hadza and found they, they walk between seven and 10,000 meters a day. That, that's seven to 10 kilometers. The point is the human body was made to walk. The human body was made to move on our feet. Indigenous cultures and hunter-gatherers are still walking 10 kilometers a day. That's what the body is designed to do. In my book, Dynamic Anatomy, which is down below in the show notes, and in this book, in the books I write, I go into anatomy from a perspective of understanding what a muscle does when we walk. If you really want to understand what your abdominals do when, when your body moves, understand what they do when you walk, because that is the inherent function of what we're designed for. We're designed to be hunter-gatherers, to go out and look for our own food. So we have to contextualize our muscle function in that context. And that's really important to understand before we go forward. So all you ever needed to know about your core, you learned before you could walk. Every time your foot makes contact with the ground, your body is accelerated downward by the force of gravity. At the same time, the ground exerts an equal and opposite force upward into your lower leg called ground reaction force. These two competing forces intersect around the body's center of gravity. How we learn how to control our bodies as we grow from newborns to infants to children provides important insights into how our muscles are designed to function. Humans are one of the only mammals born not knowing how to walk. When a four-legged mammal is born, it only takes a few minutes for it to learn how to stand on its feet. Quadrupeds have four legs to support the mass of their body, with a spine parallel to the ground, while humans are bipeds with a spine that is perpendicular to the ground and only two legs to support the weight of the body. This means it can take a human approximately 10 to 14 months or longer to learn how to sequence and coordinate the muscle actions responsible for walking because the muscle and skeletal structures have to become strong enough to maintain a vertical position that resists the downward pull of gravity. The natural stages of human motor skill development are extending the spine, rolling over, sitting up, belly crawling, crawling, cruising, which is standing and walking while holding on to stable objects, and finally walking. During the stages of development, the muscles are developing the timing, strength, and coordination to integrate movements of the hips, pelvis, spine, and shoulders. At no point during the natural progression of walking does a baby line his back and flex his or her spine to perform an abdominal crunch. Lying on your back to do abdominal oblique crunches could actually be working against the way your muscles function. Attempting to isolate specific muscles with traditional core exercise will not train the tissues and skeletal structures to accommodate the multiplanar forces you could experience when performing a number of ADLs, such as lifting a young child from a crib or carrying a big bag of groceries. Now, a little bit of background here. In the late 2000s and early 2010s, I was involved in a couple different groups where we were teaching a lot about fascia, movement, and, and how the body learns motor programming. Well, my kids were born in 2012 and 2014. So between the years of 2012 and about 2016, I got a very close uphand personal look at motor skill development. 
I watch my kids learn how to walk. I observe them. I, I, I was telling my younger daughter this morning, my younger daughter's been working out since she's about four or five months old because she would crawl around on her front and I would take her, I'd pick her up and flip her over on her back and she would look at me mad, roll back over on her front and continue crawling. Well, I did that on purpose because I was flipping her over for core training. When, when both my daughters were very young, we lived in a four-story townhome and I had them crawl up the stairs to develop strength and coordination between their different legs and arms. The point being, one of the reasons why I go for a walk every day is all the joints, muscle structures, everything in our body is aligned to work most effectively when we're walking upright on the ground. And we need to take that context when we're trying to understand muscle function and how our body functions. So if you really want to develop a strong core, if you really want to develop strong core muscles, 75-80% of the exercises should be done on our feet so we know how to orient against gravity and ground reaction. Functional anatomy, understanding your core muscles. Core is commonly used to describe the muscles that control the motion of the pelvis, femurs, which are your thigh bones, rib cage, and spine, specifically the lumbar and thoracic segments. However, any muscle that can influence motion of the upper legs, pelvis, or spine could be considered part of your body's core region as well. This means that a number of muscles not traditionally classified as part of the core could be considered core muscles because they can indeed influence motion at these segments. For example, both the long and short heads of the biceps, your upper arm muscle, attached to the shoulder blade, that's the supraglenoid tubercle and the coracoid process respectively, that's the parts of your shoulder blade, your shoulder blade sits on your rib cage, the back of your rib cage, and the shoulder blade really doesn't connect any bone in your body. The shoulder cage kind of floats on the back of your rib cage. Your shoulder, your shoulder blade, actually the only connection your shoulder blade has to your body is via the clavicle or, or your collarbone. Other than that, it kind of rests on top of tissue on top of your rib cage. Anyway, where were we? All right. So if the biceps remain in a state of contraction, the muscle could pull the scapula forward, creating a rounded shoulder which then changes the position of the thoracic spine, causing it to flex and bend forward in front of the body. That means if your biceps becomes too tight, your biceps will pull your scapula forward. If your scapula are pulled forward, it'll cause you to have a rounded spine. It'll cause you to hunch your shoulders. If the thoracic spine remains in a flexed position, it'll affect the muscles responsible for controlling both position and motion of the entire spine, ultimately changing your center of gravity. And that's the thing. I mean, you can see, it's funny to point this out, but you can see sometimes men that have really big biceps, their shoulders are hunched forward and they're rounded over. Well, that's because if you do only biceps training and you don't strengthen other muscles around the shoulder girdle, and the biceps could be considered a shoulder muscle because they cross the glenohumeral joint, but if the only thing you're doing is really a lot of biceps training, it is going to pull your scapula forward. And if your scapula moves, it changes the position of your spine. So doing too many biceps curls could be causing low back pain. Just putting that out there. One group of researchers describes the core as the pelvic girdle, spine, shoulders, and all soft tissues, which include the ligaments, tendons, fascia, and muscle, with proximal attachments originating on the axial skeleton formed by the skull, spine, and ribcage. You have two skeletons. You have your axial skeleton, which is skull, spine, and ribcage, and you have your appendicular skeleton, which is everything else. This definition includes the numerous muscles that attach to the pelvis, abdominals, and spine. Dr. Stuart McGill describes the core as being composed of the lumbar spine, the muscles of the abdominal wall, the back extensors, and quadratus lumborum. Also included are the multi-joint muscles, 
namely latissimus dorsi and psoas, that pass through the cord linking it to the pelvis, legs, shoulders, and arms. A separate model describes the abdominal muscles as being organized into layers, superficial, intermediate, and deep, based on their relation to the superficial structure of the skin and the deep internal structure of the skeleton. McGill is not alone in his thoughts that ground-based strength training can be effective for enhancing the strength of core muscles. According to researchers Brett Contreras and Brad Schoenfeld, both previous guests, most, quote, most training can be considered, quote, core training with respect to program design. Basic core strength and endurance will be realized through performance of most non-machine-based exercises, such as during squats, deadlifts, chin-ups, and push-ups, end quote. So real quick, that quote, most, core tra- most training can be considered core training as long as they're non-machine-based exercises. What Brett and what Brett and Brad did a number of years ago, I think they published it in 2010, was they reviewed about 200 pieces of literature, research literature at the time, to identify trends of core training. And what they realized is that ground-based strength training, meaning on your feet, holding something heavy in your hands, is one of the most effective ways to strengthen the muscles of the core. That was a big finding back you know, 10, 12 years ago. And over the last decade, it's really been integrated into programming. People like myself, other research, other, other programmers like myself read the research, and then we apply that into the programs that we design that ultimately make you sweat. Regardless of the specific model reference, the muscles that connect the hips, pelvis, spine, shoulders, and ribcage function as a transmission of the body because they are responsible for transferring forces generated from the ground through the legs and trunk and ultimately out through the upper extremities. If you want to improve your core strength, you need to perform exercises for a wide range of muscles, including the gluteal complex, the gluteus maximus, medius, minimus, uh, hamstrings, quadriceps, adductors, spinal rectors, internal obliques, external obliques, hip flexors, latissimus dorsi, which is attached to the lower back, so it's considered a core muscle, and finally, the rectus abdominis, otherwise known as a six-pack. These muscles all attach to the core of the body. Dr. McGill has found that using ground-based vertical exercises to strengthen the core is extremely effective because muscles can develop the ability to produce force in the multiple directions necessary to support various positions and handle unexpected loads. The external and internal obliques, rectus abdominis and transverse abdominis, are all considered part of the deep layer in Newman's model and make up the abdominal wall as described by McGill. The deep muscles create stability around the lumbar spine in order to allow motion of the thoracic spine, shoulders, and hips. The muscles of the abdominal wall are layered against one another like individual layers of a sheet of plywood. As these layers contract, they create stiffness around the lumbar spine and pelvis to establish core stability. Because of the way these layers of muscles work as a single unit, they are only capable of working in isolation when you are in various positions lying on the floor or an exercise machine with a specific range of motion. A stationary posture is both the beginning and end point for all movement. As the deep muscles of the core get stronger, they will help you maintain a straighter posture, which in turn can help you to move better. Plus, as the deep core muscles become stronger, they will act like a weight belt or girdle and actually help to flatten your stomach by holding the contents of your abdominal cavity in behind the walls of muscle. Now, what I'm writing about there really goes into the heart of... Sorry, I'm just moving things around. What I'm writing about there really goes into the heart of misunderstanding about core training. 
A number of years ago, back in 2013, I did an anatomy lab. I did a cadaver dissection with Thomas Myers. Thomas Myers is the author of Anatomy Trains and has taught a lot about fascia. Doing a cadaver lab was probably the most overwhelming thing I've ever done in my life. Cutting apart a human body with a scalpel, a fresh human body. It wasn't preserved by chemicals. These cadavers have been donated by the, by the deceased and they've been frozen. And in going through the dissection, specifically in the core region, I was really able, you were able to see how these different muscles are all layers. You know, we read an anatomy book and it's easy to see how an anatomy theoretically could connect from one part of the body and work as in, muscles do not work in isolation. They don't. The only time a muscle works in isolation is in a specific, specific exercise where you isolate a joint or isolate an individual muscle. But think about movement. Think about walking from your car to your house carrying groceries. Think about picking up your kids when they're younger, if they're young now. Think about swinging a bat, a club, or a racket. Think about anything you do throughout the day and no one muscle works independently. In order for you to move, multiple muscles, the way a friend of mine described it, and I'll, I'll, I'll reference him, the way Lenny Paracino taught me years ago is we want our muscles to function like a symphony or a choir, meaning you want everything in balance. A, well, a well-balanced symphony, a well-balanced choir is beautiful. Everything resonates. Everything is in tune. Everything is working together. That's what we want with our body. We want every muscle to work together. We want our hips to work with our shoulders. One of the things when I write programs, I write hip and shoulder exercises together because when we walk, our hips and shoulders move together. We need to train them together. We need to train movement patterns because move, our body is controlled neurologically by the nervous system and our nervous system knows how to program movements innately. Don't fight physiology. Enhance physiology. Harness physiology. Train the way you move. Now, you can go through, in my books and what I write about and what I try to teach, is you design, I try to get people to think about full-body, integrated, movement-based exercise programs. Train the whole body at one time. Push, pull, hinge, lunge, carry, all that fun stuff. But is it a, can you do an isolation program? Can you do a bodybuilding program? Absolutely. Currently, right now, I'm on week seven of a 12-week bodybuilding program. I'm getting ready. We have in March, I have two conferences I'm going to. I'm going to a personal training conference. I'm going to our annual Health Club Industry Association conference. And folks, like everybody else, I like to look good when I'm out in public. And now that I'm in this role for a major company with a lot more exposure, I'm trying to come in at about 190, 195 pounds. I'm using it as a show. Once I get through March, I'll go back to my regular functional training, full body programming, push, pull, hinge until probably around May, June. And May, June, I'll probably start doing another bodybuilding program to get ready for late summer because August, September is when it gets really hot out here in San Diego. Uh, anyway, but that's the way I structure and I write about that. If you want to learn how to design these programs, you can pick up Smarter Workouts or the ebook Functional Core Training. You know, I mean, selfishly, that's why I'm doing this whole series. I'm doing this whole series. I want you to learn this stuff. I'm trying to teach it to you in this format but also, you can do this as a companion. You can listen to the audio portion on the podcast. Hey, you can pick up the, the book, follow along, and hey, if you listen to this podcast and you pick up one or two of my books, I guarantee you in a very short period of time, you will learn what you need to know to be your own personal trainer. 
And if, hey, down the line, you want to become certified and start working as a personal trainer, I'll help you do that too. So, hey, with that, the fun one, I always enjoy reading my content. I enjoy sharing my content with you. It really is an honor to be a part of your day. However you consume All About Fitness, working out, driving, whatever you do, thank you. And I mean that. I appreciate your tuning in and I appreciate your listening. If you want to support the podcast, pick up a book, visit our sponsors. You can reach out to me, Pete, at PeteMcCallFitness.com. And hey, as always, thank you for stopping by. And I do look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.